Welcome to the Accord Research Alliance podcast, where we talk with innovators who are committed to measuring what matters in Christ-centered relief and development. I'm Rodney Green, and I'm the Program Advisor for Agriculture and Economic Development at World Relief. Thank you all for joining us today. I'm here with Dr. Ray Norman, who works for World Vision. Now, Ray and I have a little bit of history because we worked together for a few years at Messiah College, and we both worked together on a project that advocated for people with disabilities being included in development programs. And a film we helped produce together was is called Beyond the Margins. Um, Ray, uh, welcome to the podcast. Would you be able to talk a little bit about um, your involvement at Messiah College, and then we'll jump into your role at World Vision. Okay, thank you, Rodney. Uh, delighted to be on this podcast and uh, looking forward to some good uh, good discussions. I used to serve as a national director uh, for one of World Vision's programs in West Africa in the Islamic Republic of Mauritania. Uh, after that term, I came to Messiah College and served for about 12 years as the Dean of uh, Science, Engineering, and Health. And during that time, I continued uh, my relationship with World Vision uh, through some research uh, involvement uh, in which we included uh, uh, our Messiah College students. One of those projects was uh, looking at, at uh, inclusive WASH. Uh, WASH, of course, means stands for Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene, which is a large sector area that World Vision works in. And they asked us to look very carefully about how inclusive our WASH programs were for people with disabilities. So for about nearly 10 years, we uh, conducted a joint research program with World Vision, between World Vision and Messiah College, and I led that, and that was what you were referring to. You were involved, Rodney, in some of, uh, some of that research. We'll provide a link to some of the resources attached to that and the film as well, if you're interested in learning more. Uh, Ray, what's uh, your role now at World Vision, and and maybe tell us a little bit about your background as well. Okay, uh, I'm uh, I am a water engineer by by training, and I spent uh, about 15 years uh, working mostly in research in the area of uh, water management, uh, irrigation, agriculture, uh, and water sanitation and hygiene. Uh, in both West Africa and the Middle East. And then in 1999, I joined World Vision as a national director, which I, I mentioned to you. Uh, then I had 12 years at Messiah College, and today I am back at World Vision serving in a, a somewhat different role. Uh, World Vision has, uh, in, uh, World Vision's WASH program has wanted to be more intentional about integrating uh, our Christian faith into our WASH programs in a way that's more intentional. And so I today I serve as the director, the global director for faith leadership uh, for our global WASH programs. And in a, in a nutshell, 
that's helping our, our very technical teams, you know, our water engineers, our geophysicists, our well drillers, uh, our sanitation specialists, and thinking more intentionally about how they integrate their faith in, uh, in the wash work we do. How do we, how do we engage in effective and appropriate forms of Christian witness, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of that is in restricted faith environments. So much of our work is in parts of the world that are of other faith contexts where uh, the Christian faith is certainly not a majority faith. And so those are unique environments that we really want to be able to leverage our Christian identity in, but to do so in, in, appropriate, uh, in appropriate ways. Thanks, Ray. I might circle back to that theme a bit later on, uh, but that's a really helpful background. Uh, what is perhaps the most significant thing you're working on now or or maybe the project that you're most excited about? Well, a lot of my <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of my time is spent in the field with our our national office programs uh, in capacity building and helping them to think. Uh, more intentionally about faith and a great Christian faith integration and their work. But perhaps the most exciting or even significant thing that I'm working on right now is in our WASH programs, uh, one of the areas that uh, we have admittedly struggled with uh, is, is hygiene. You know, you can, in our WASH programs, you can drill wells, you can cap springs, you can provide clean water to communities, and you can engage in, in sanitation efforts. But if, if the hygiene behavior of these target communities doesn't change, then you, you can still have high infant mortality rates and other issues that stem from, uh, you know, from poor hygiene and poor water, water use. So we have found in recent years that one of the most effective ways of bringing about behavior change in the communities is through targeting faith leaders. Um, when you have an expatriate uh, wash uh, specialist coming into a community and talking to them about hygiene change, they may or may not listen. Or even if you engage a government health specialist uh, in the local country you're in to come and work with you and to advocate for behavior change when it comes to hygiene, that may or may not have some effect. And so we, we have found that communities trust, perhaps more than any other leaders, they trust their faith leaders, whether these are pastors, priests, or imams, or you know, uh, faith leaders of any other major faith in, in, in that country. So we have kind of shifted our approach, and what, what we try to do now is when we, when we first start in new communities, we start by engaging faith leaders, and so we bring them to the table. If it's a mixed-faith community, we bring pastors, priests, and imams to the table for a few days. If it's an all, for example, an all-Muslim community, we bring, uh, we invite the imams to come and spend several days together. We talk about principles of hygiene. We introduce them to our wash work. We invite them to join us in the effort to, uh, uh, to, to work for more healthy uh, communities. And uh, we find that the faith leaders get very excited about this. And uh, the results have, have been, I think, have been uh, impressive. Most of those results at this point are still qualitative and not necessarily quantitative. 
But sitting down together with faith leaders for two or three days, engaging them in the needs, the health needs of their communities and getting them to be advocates uh, has had remarkable results. I'll give you an example. After three days of meeting, at the end, we ask them to develop action plans for when they go back to their communities. And often we find that uh, pastors and priests or, pa- or pastors and imams will come together and go visit schools as a team and talk about hygiene in the primary schools. Uh, in one country, our uh, an imam and a pastor got together and did some radio spots. Uh, they recorded some radio spots for the community. So we are finding that engaging faith leaders uh, can have a remarkable impact on hygiene behavior change in communities. Plus, and I'll stop with this, uh, it's a huge peace-building opportunity, you know, when you have mixed-faith communities and we get these faith leaders together who have perhaps never sat down at the table together and talked. And, of course, it's a it's a wonderful opportunity for Christian witness as long as it's done in winsome and, and appropriate ways. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's uh, it's It's great to hear how something like hygiene can be something that brings people to the table and, and Bring some common vision even to very different or diverse faith contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you integrated spiritual metrics into this program monitoring and evaluation? Well, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of our initial results are qualitative, and we're we're working on the quantitative side of it. Uh, anytime you start talking about spiritual metrics, you, you know that you're on uh, uh, potentially fragile ground, fragile territory. And we have been intentional about uh, thinking about our spiritual metrics, but we've also done it with a great deal of, uh, of caution. And for many organizations, including World Vision, this is somewhat, uh, somewhat new, new territory. World Vision is doing a lot of work in different sectors on measuring, uh, trying to measure spiritual impact, the spiritual well-being of children, especially uh, we've been doing a lot of head scratching, a lot of field testing of methods for assessing the spiritual well-being of, um, of children. But in our WASH program, we have, uh, we have been uh, doing a lot of work to try to build some metrics that are both uh, useful, that are appropriate, uh, but are also doable and, and affordable. You know, the cost of, of metrics is also a factor. So, you, you know, the t- cost in terms of fund, funding and time is a big issue. So we've been waiting, waiting through, through that. The, the first measure we, we implemented and we have in place now is... It's a very moderate measure, but we, we ask all of our programs to report back quarterly on how many faith leaders uh, in their country were trained in uh, principles of hygiene. So that is one metric we do. It, it, it may not say a whole lot about the spiritual impact, but at least it indicates mm-hmm. how much we're involving um, uh, faith leaders in our, in our WASH program. Let me... Let me take this to the next level, if I may, uh, Rodney. So what what we have been doing is we've kind of been working backwards. Uh, I've been going into our uh, to our national programs and our, our regional programs, mostly in West and in East East Africa, 
which uh, where most of our programs are in either Muslim majority communities or mixed faith communities. And we started with the question for our, our WASH teams, what is the desired spiritual impact you want to see? What, uh, what is the desired spiritual impact you hope to uh, attain through your WASH programs? And of course, you know, we're sitting with technical people, so this, this can be a new question for them, because often, you know, our WASH staff are dedicated Christians, most of them are, and they they do their wash work out of a out of a desire to follow Jesus' commands to to impact the poor, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily trained or skilled in uh, in methods of Christian witness or in leveraging their technical work for for Christian witness. So we have been asking the teams to think about what's your desired spiritual um, impact. And we just finished, over the last year, we, we consolidated all the feedback, and at this point, uh, we have come up with, our WASH teams have come up with three main themes that they, they want to focus on. The first is God's love, that our WASH work will be a clear demonstration of God's love for the communities we serve. Communities will connect our WASH interventions with God's love. And that is uh, first and foremost of our desired spiritual impact. There's two more here. There's three of these that we filtered out. The, the second is trust building and transform relationships, and that our wash work will build trust across religious divides, result in transform relationships. And that's, that's transform relationships between world vision as a Christian organization and the other faith communities we serve. Because often when we come in as a Christian organization in these other faith contexts, there's a lot of a lot of suspicion. But in many places, we have WASH staff who are of mixed faith. We have Christians, we have Muslims working together in teams. And so we want to see our impact also affect those teams. Because when, when communities see mixed faith teams working together in unity and harmony, even under the umbrella of a Christian organization, it has a huge impact on the community. The third area is dignity and value, that you know we would see our wash work uh, as serving to restore human dignity and value, which is a reflection of God's value for individuals and communities. And uh, the example of working with persons with disabilities and disability inclusion plays powerfully into that impact, that desired impact of restoring dignity and value uh, to people in the communities. So, can I go to the next step then? Yes, uh, sure. Go ahead. Okay, okay so we, we filtered out, th these are the three desired Im spiritual impacts that we want to see um, in, um, in the communities that we serve with our WASH programs. So, what we have now been doing, what we're involved in right now, uh, this year, is working backwards. And let me, let me explain that. So, in a lot of development programs, we, 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 we look at our approach through this rubric. Number one, what are our inputs and resources? Number two, what are the activities that we will do? Number three, what are the outputs of those activities? Number four, what are the outcomes uh, of those outputs? And then uh, fifth is what's, what's the impact? Uh, so, for example, from a technical standpoint, um, uh, we have funding to drill wells, so the input is the, the funding for well drilling, the activity is the well drilling. 
the outputs would be perhaps we we drilled 50 wells in a district of a certain country. The outcome would be we perhaps um, were able to touch the lives of 3,000 um, community members with clean water. And the, the, the final desired impact is a reduction in child mortality or, or better health in the community. So we, we're following the same process with the desired spiritual impact, but we're working backwards. We've established these three desired impacts, God's love, uh, trust building, restored dignity and value. Uh, as our as as the desired impact, and that's number five. And now we're working backwards. So we're going through an exercise of saying, okay, this is our desired spiritual impact. Let's work backwards. What are the outcomes that lead to that desired impact? What are the outputs that lead to those outcomes? What are the activities that lead to those outputs? And what then? What are the inputs and resources we need uh, to generate those activities? And this has been a fascinating discussion um, with with our staff who are used to applying this rubric to you know technical interventions. Uh, applying it to to spiritual interventions is 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 really new territory. And we've been coming up with some very innovative uh, innovative approaches to this. Uh, but it's really encouraging to see our technical staff get really excited about it. I, I'll close with this. That is, our technical staff, uh, you know, often come to me and say, you know, Ray, I, I'm a water engineer, I'm a well driller, and I, I joined World Vision because I really wanted to, uh, as a Christian, follow Jesus' command to reach the poor. But I've struggled with how, you know, I leverage my Christian faith in this work, and this is really helping me think intentionally about how, how we do that. So that's a summary of what we've been involved in. I, I hope that answers, uh, at least gives a preliminary answer to your question, Rodney. Yes, it does. Thank you. I, I think that's a very helpful process you've gone through, and I think has given a lot of us something to think about. A principle that I found encouraging is is kind of thinking how the, the physical work that we do has spiritual fruit or impacts, and then, the in a sense, the spiritual impact we do has physical results and kind of seeing both physical and spiritual as one. Um, and I think the what you're doing at World Vision seems to really apply that in, in specific and practical ways. Um, maybe we could just close with, you know, any final pieces of advice you'd have for those of us um, also wrestling with some of these questions. Would you Would you have any specific advice for us? Yeah, well, let, let me say that in this process that I outlined, and it was a rather lengthy outline, I hope I didn't lose anyone, but, you know, once we get these five steps uh, nailed down, you know, inputs, activities, outputs, outcomes, and then the desired impact, we're getting lots of, our, the feedback that we're getting, there's lots of different routes we can take in that process. But once that's done, even though that's done, you still have to ask yourself, okay, uh, you know, what are the exact indicators that can show evidence of activities and outputs uh, and even final impact? Uh, and how difficult is it to measure those? Uh, it, it, that may be a good measure, but it may be very difficult to obtain. It may be very, co even prohibitively costly in time and resources. 
there may be a lot of assumptions built into each uh, each approach. So uh, we're not done yet. So we're it's still a learning journey from us. But I think the main lesson uh, that that I have learned in the last couple of years on this is that um, I think there's a lot of value in approaching this not from a, a top-down approach. In other words, I, I, I serve as a thought leader for faith integration, but I don't try to prescribe what the desired impact should be, nor how we should attain that impact. My job is to help our field people think about it because we want them to own this. We want them to own uh, the spiritual impact and the process to attain that and to get excited about it themselves. So going in and spending time with our, our field teams and helping them search for their own answers, I think has been a much, it's a slower, slower approach than a prescribed approach. But I think the result is going to be that uh, our teams will will own this. And you have to remember that blanket prescriptions can be problematic because every community is a little different. The nuances, the politics, the the spiritual climate can can vary greatly from one community to the other. So we need to be flexible in in our approach uh, from one country or one community to the next. And I think that's another reason that we need to let our our field teams uh, try to own uh, own this whole notion of spiritual impact and how how we measure it. Thank you so much, Ray. That's very helpful. Um, if you are interested in learning more about Ray and his story and background, he's also written a book called Dangerous Love, A True Story of Tragedy, Faith, and Forgiveness in the Muslim World. And so you, I'll put a link to that on the podcast as well if you're interested Thank you so much, Ray, for joining us today. Well, thank you, Rodney. It's been uh, it's been a blessing. Uh, enjoyed uh, enjoyed the chat. Thank you. <laughs>